Dr. Nimrod Mbili is an academic, a successful businessman who has a talent to simplify business and make it relevant beyond the boardroom. Catch Dr. Nimrod Mbili live and beyond governance Tuesdays at 6 p.m. A very good evening to everybody and welcome to tonight's edition of Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Mbele um, and I'm delighted to be in your company. As always, um, it is, it's quite interesting because we in the in a space where we, we debunk a number of complex issues that are bedeviling our daily lives and, and, and hopefully we make sense by simplifying these kinds of issues. Uh, in the same token we must continue to we must continue to uh, push the boundaries of innovation and creativity um, as that remains in my view the currency which shapes our collective future as as, as a country and as a people uh, before getting to today's tonight's business let me pay homage to my colleagues uh, thanks to Howard Sasha and Hilton uh, for the glorious show um, they are back tomorrow uh, to repeat the magic which they are known for. Uh, tonight I'm not playing solo. I have Tabo, and I've noted that Vusi has abandoned me. Uh, Tabo is the man who will be steering the ship um, as, and, and, and guiding the conversation as we go along. Every time when I, every time when we need to pay our bills, Tabo is going to guy that's going to be shouting from the drum. It's a lesson we need to pay the bills. Um, yeah, uh, if you have missed our previous conversation, I know we have been out of out of out of touch for a while. I sincerely apologize for 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 that. But we are back in, in full swing of things. Uh, uh, um, for those that could have missed our previous conversation, uh, I implore you to go to our website, which is www.highfm.com, and go to Beyond Governance and upload all our podcasts. Um, this is not my show, this is your show. You continuously add value by giving your thoughts. And tonight is no exception. Give me a drop, you can drop me an email or an SMS. Uh, our SM line, SMS line is 34519. And of course, the Twitter handle is at high FM. Uh, tonight, I'm not flying solo. Uh, we, we join in studio by a man that I have absolute respect and admiration for. Uh, he's other than Arnold Basirabi. Hopefully this time around I've got, I've, I've pronounced his name appropriately or correctly. Uh, who is Arnold? For those who may not know Arnold. Arnold is a former group um, executive officer of um, uh, First Show. He's a non-executive director at Colin Venture Partners, a chairperson at Africa Tekun, director and consultant to many companies, a former Jewish businessman of the year, a Jewish lifetime achiever, and former insurance man of the year. Um, tonight we're not talking about the man, but we're talking about some of the ex- experiences, particularly in the context of the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee, APEC, uh, conference which he attended recently. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of tonight's conversation, let me take this opportunity to welcome Arnold. Thank you. Thank you, Nimrod. Delighted to be with you. As always, it is a pleasure indeed, sir. Uh, just a quick one. Um, I know, you know, um, I've actually went and looked at the, the website of APEC. It seems to be a formidable uh, entity. Uh, but in the context of, of, of um, your visit, uh, can you take, us to take the listeners through as to, you know, what was the purpose of um, uh, APEC and when was it established? So APEC was established in 1963. It was and has been and still is an organization of many American citizens committed to promoting and strengthening the U.S.-Israel relationship. It is primarily a lobby group which advocates pro-Israel policies to the U.S. government, 
and politicians. Okay, great stuff. So we now have a sense as to what APEC is all about. But the, the conversation is not so much about the, the historical um, or the history of, of the organization as such, but we want to locate the conversation around, <coughs> I beg your pardon, around the conference as it were, uh, which was, which I believe was held sometimes in, 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 in March. March. Yeah, early March. Early March, mm-hmm. okay. And as you've cor- correctly pointed out, that um, the conference uh, is all about the, 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 the relationship between Israel and, and, and um, American leaders to come together and discuss development issues co- of common objectives relating to Israel and, of course, the Middle East. Um, perhaps maybe uh, just to take a step back and say, um, who were the, the keynote speakers um, okay. of the conference? So, So let me say... Uh, just before I speak about the keynote speakers, maybe let me just give you the context of the conference. APAC every year has this conference. They have it. It's a big conference. They have it in Washington, D.C. And one of the reasons for having it there is because at the end of the conference, most of the delegates divide up in groups and go to America's parliament on the Capitol and meet with some of the politicians to lobby them about various issues of importance. The structure of the conference is on Friday night and Saturday, they have a Shabbaton, (laughs) where they have uh, services, uh, religious services. This year, in fact, there were eight services attended by some 1,500 people, and they have Ashkenazi Orthodox, Ashkenazi Conservative, Reform, Sephardi, and even youth services. And then on Sunday and Monday is the actual conference, attended by 18,000 people. There are several keynote speakers. I'll mention a couple of them now in answer to your question, plus a number of other discussion groups. In fact, more discussion groups than one can go to. There are so many. A number of discussion groups discussing various matters related to America, Israel, and the Middle East. Some of the keynote speakers were, firstly, Nikki Haley. She was the heroine of the conference. Whomever was looking for applause mentioned her name, because whenever her name was mentioned, people stood up and applauded. She spoke to us in an almost conversational manner, but she was pointed and she was powerful. She was adamant that the United Nations could no longer bully Israel. This was her key theme, and I could comment more, but that's what she discussed. Other keynote speakers were Benjamin Netanyahu, Mike Pence, Vice President of America, David Friedman, America's Ambassador to Israel, Naftali Bennett, Parliamentary Minister and a member of the Security Council, Isaac Herzog, leader of the Israeli opposition, Chuck Schumer, head of the American Democrats in the Senate, Natan Sharansky, and I could mention many others. Well, this was definitely a, a, a huge uh, conference, as it were. I mean, 18,000 um, delegates. Yes. Yes. And you can imagine the number of focus group or the, the, the number of groups that, that deliberate on specific items uh, of the conference, as it were. Um, earlier on, you mentioned as part of your um, the, the those individuals who mm. were appointed in terms of the keynote address, yeah. Benjamin and Netanyahu. Yeah. And obviously, he's a prominent figure. Yeah. Uh, could you just maybe give us a sense of your own assessment of Benjamin when he was addressing yeah. um, the, the conference and what are those yeah. salient points okay. that he mentioned so Bibi as he is known I've never seen him 
as ebullient as he was at the conference. He was walking the stage, I'd say, with utmost confidence. Uh, comments that he made was that Israel has never been as strong as it is now from a military perspective. Israel's incredible intelligence services protect not only Israel and support America, but they protect innocent lives from around the world. And he gave an example of something which may not be known to everyone, that um, there was possibly due to be a terrorist attack on an Emirates airplane flying out of Australia a number of months ago, which was foiled because of Israeli intelligence, which nobody even knows about. He made the point that Israel gets 20% of the world's investment in cyber security with less than 0.1% of the world's population. There are many countries that are coming to do business and seek information from Israel, including in Africa. Israel now has 10 resident embassies in Africa and about five non-resident embassies. And perhaps the most important point he made, which is made throughout the conference, was that Israel must and will stop Iran from having a nuclear capability. So that was the gist of what he said. And the crowd stood up and gave him something like 10 minutes of a standing ovation. Well, Walt, that sounds like uh, an, an, a definitely a big achievement um, for Benjamin's um, uh, keynote address. Um, um, but perhaps maybe what, what might be useful again, let's visit Nikki because um, earlier on you mentioned that, um, you know, she was heroine of the conference. Mm-hmm. Anybody who wanted an applause, just mention her name. Um, when you look at the two um, delegates, uh, Benjamin as well as Nikki, what was the central theme that, that evoked those kind of emotion between the two? Yeah, okay. So, so Nikki is the United Nations ambassador, sorry, America's ambassador to the United Nations. She has formed the view correctly that the United Nations has incredible anti-Israel bias. And she is determined to stop that from continuing as it happened up until the time she was appointed. Now, a lot of people may or may not know that Nikki is of Indian descent. And when she was growing up in America, she was discriminated against. And maybe that's one of the reasons why she will not allow undue and unwarranted discrimination. And when she spoke to the crowd of 18,000 people, she spoke almost by way of conversation. And she made a number of points that the United Nations cannot just behave as they've behaved up to now. They have once a month, if I'm not wrong, two sessions on human rights in the world. One session applies to every other country other than Israel, and one session applies only to Israel. And she says with what's going on in Syria, Iran, and many other countries, that is absolutely and totally unfair. And just on a, for her personal note, while she was talking, someone in the crowd shouted, Nikki, I love you. And she stopped and smiled and said, I love you too.
Wow, wow. That was quite an emotional um, speech by Nikki Haley there um, at the conference um, that took place sometimes um, uh, in, in, in March uh, this year in Washington, D.C. Uh, and we've had the benefit of um, uh, our fellow South African here, uh, Arnold Basirabi, who have attended that conference and give us an update in terms of his take uh, of the conference. Talking of your take of the conference, Arnold, um, um, there were obviously a number of uh, key issues which the conference deliberated on. Um, earlier on, before we went to the show, um, you made mention of, um, you know, in terms of the outcome around um, lobbying. Um, you know, one was one was one issue was uh, Iran funding and Israel, uh, and, and and the last but last but not least was. BDS. Mm-hmm. Um, very quickly, your take on the, on these kind of themes because they won't necessarily form the gist of our conversation, but I, I still think yeah. it's important just to reflect okay. on it. Well, Iran was discussed extensively at the conference. The name Iran was mentioned throughout the conference nearly as often as Nikki Haley. And there were a number of points, if you'd like me to comment sure. on, on what I took out of the conference relating to Iran. Okay. Uh, just as a matter of interest again, and people will be aware that recently a drone, an Iranian-made drone, flew from Syria into Israel. Um, Israel retaliated uh, because that was absolutely inappropriate for that to happen. They retaliated and they proceeded, the Israeli Air Force, proceeded to destroy some 12 Syrian and Iranian Air Force bases. And they only stopped, I don't know how far they were going to go, apparently they only stopped when Vladimir Putin of Russia called Netanyahu and asked him to stop because Russian planes were being destroyed. The comment was made that Iran is intent on controlling the Middle East, which is unacceptable to America, and most people believe on destroying Israel. It has built military bases in Syria and in Lebanon, and has a presence through Hamas in Gaza, which people believe it intends to use against Israel and by implication, the United States. And speaker after speaker after speakers, particularly from the American side, said the United States will never allow, as Bibi said, the United States will never allow Iran to have a nuclear capability. There was a lot of discussion on the 2015 uh, nuclear deal, which the Western powers uh, and Russia and China agreed with Iran. And how bad that was, I won't go into detail on that, other than to say, maybe let me give you one example of where it was bad, and that was that no sensitive military bases in Iran could be inspected by the United Nations inspectors after the agreement was signed, and if, an, if a site wanted to be inspected, Iran had to receive 21 days' notice of the intention to inspect. Now, how bad a clause can that be? And how, how it lets Iran do whatever they want and protect themselves before an inspection? That was just one example. And Mike Pence, Vice President of America, said that Donald Trump will not re-verify the Iranian nuclear deal unless changes are made. And unless the deal was fixed, the United States will withdraw. We still have to wait and see, obviously, if that's going to happen. Fantastic. Um, For that update, um, um, uh, Arnold, but 
maybe before we get into the Iran issue, um, I'm sure the listeners want to, because we've, we've mentioned three yeah. uh, critical issues. It's Iran, uh, funding, and, and BDS. Yes, okay. um, maybe let's just go to the funding and BDS. Then we'll go back, because I've got certain question and I want to make a follow-up on the issue of Iran. Uh, with, and say, with pleasure. You know, moving yeah. forward, what does okay. it mean for the... For, so for, for the with pleasure. So whereas Iran was discussed extensively throughout the conference, the funding and the BDS were discussed, and I'll comment on them, but these were more items which were to be taken to the politicians to debate with them and uh, put forward a case for their support for those issues. On the funding side, uh, uh, what was put forward, America earlier this week passed legislation which actually um, uh, complied with the funding proposal which APAC made to the American government and their legislation that they passed, which went through both houses in Americans' government, was that $3.1 billion would be set aside by America for general support of Israel's security in the coming year. And in addition, approximately $700 million would be set aside particularly for Israeli-American Missile Defense Cooperation. So on the question of funding, that was discussed. Uh, things were put forward. Something very similar was ultimately decided by the American legislature. On the question of BDS, uh, the comments were made that BDS is still a big problem in America, but particularly on university campuses where BDS is strong, uh, the other students and the academia do not counter them as much or as strongly as they should, and they are making progress in that area. At this conference of 18,000 people, 3,500 were high school or university students, and one of the conference uh, resolutions was that the American, Jewish, and other youth needed to be educated strongly on what BDS was all about and how they could counter it. What was positive, it was noted that more than half of the governments of the states, of the, of the states in America, had outlawed BDS in their states. And particularly the arms of government having anything to do with an entity, company or otherwise, that supported uh, BDS. Okay. But it was recognized that this was an ongoing issue which they had to address. Okay, great stuff. I'll tell you what, there's one more question that I want us to reflect on, sure. uh, but we'll, we'll obviously take it after the show, uh, which, which for me elevates the, the importance of a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Because we clearly the 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 the, uh, <coughs> the 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 conference was dealing with with highly contentious issues, which can only be addressed through um, dialogue. Because mm-hmm. it is through dialogue that all different parties um, who are who differ fundamentally, either at the ideological level mm-hmm. or religious level or class level, where people can find each other. I just want your comment on that in terms of. Um, What's your thoughts around the value of a dialogue and the extent to which we can learn from that in bridging whatever differences that are there? Let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. Sure.
This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Welcome back. It is now 28 after 6. I'm joined in studio by Arnold Basirabi, who is the my guest uh, tonight. And we're talking the outcome of APAC um, conference, which was held sometimes um, um, last month. And, and, and before we went to the break, the question that I put to, to him um, was that, in as much as the conference unpacked, among others, uh, from at least from a lobbying point of view, Iran funding and BDS, uh, what what is emerging in my mind, at least, is the significance of a dialogue insofar as uh, bridging the ideological differences, bridging geographical differences, bridging uh, political differences, and bridging all differences in their manifestation. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? What was your take on that, and how do you, how will how can we reflect that notion in a South African context? Okay, so thanks, Nimrod. Look, it's no rocket science to say that wherever dialogue takes place, the outcome of any dispute, any fight, of any conflict, is much more likely to be more successful than when no dialogue takes place. Because when no dialogue takes place, um, perceptions are formed. Positions are formed. People are only interested in scoring points rather than finding a common goal and rather than finding um, uh, a common objective way to go forward. So uh, this was something that certainly was very, very evident because not everybody agreed with everyone else on all the points. But by putting a point of view forward and listening rather than talking all the time, it seemed to make all the difference, even in those breakaway sessions where conversations were held. In relation to South Africa, we have seen in the past that where dialogue takes place, it just makes a big difference. I don't know, but I, I'm aware of the fact that in the recent Israel Apartheid Week, at the end of it, where the two factions, the students, the South African Union of Jewish Students and the students supporting the BDS approach, who have always been very much against one another, apparently at the end of the week, they sat down and they had dialogue. I don't know the outcome, but I'm sure that the dialogue can only help understanding and relationships going forward. At the moment, the relationship between South Africa, especially from South Africa's side, and Israel is uh, somewhat turbulent, very difficult. I would love us, as they've got an APAC, I'd love to have a SAPAC, a South Africa-Israel Public Action Committee. Um, And if anyone wants to take that up and pursue that, and I think our structures, uh, our, our Board of Governors, our Board of Deputies, um, I think the, uh, this, these attempts are being made. But if anyone wants to formally form a SIPAC, I think it would be a great thing uh, as a vision. Maybe not something that can be achieved today, but who knows what can, what can be achieved if people sit down, develop an objective, a vision, and try and make things work. I couldn't agree with you more there, um, uh, Arnold, whoever's listening to the show tonight, particularly on the SAPEC um, aspect, that you obviously have had the benefit of attending the conference. You have reflected on some of the 
uh, pertinent issues and, and taking the conversation forward structurally. Um, SAPEC could be one of the uh, avenues through which can, um, uh, we can have this kind of, of dialogue mm-hmm. and moving forward. And I'm sure uh, one of the listeners will take you on uh, on, on that point. Mm-hmm. But now let's look at APEC in the context of the American Israel because there is this symbiotic relationship between the two countries. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier on, I said uh, when Donald Trump came to power, um, and he, he often um, spoke about the notion of reciprocity, um, that the U.S. has always been big brother who, who has been ripped off in, in the process, or at least uh, in, in, in the recent future, the U.S. has not been benefiting from any partnership. What does it mean uh, from Israel? Because my sense, based on the outcome of the conference, suggests that um, reciprocity is on the table. Okay. Well, as you say, Nimrod, uh, America's and Israel's relationship is certainly symbiotic. Both company, countries firmly believe that they do need one another. And uh, as Israel needs America and America's support in many different forums and many respects, America believes that it needs Israel as the strongest ally in the Middle East, certainly as a bulwark to the aims and ambitions of countries like Iran and Russia who are all trying to position themselves and control the Middle East. Every American speaker who stood up commented on how important it was that Israel's safety was a strategic imperative to the United States and that making Israel safer made the world safer. They also made the point that Israel's technology and innovative ability combined with America's financial resources makes both countries that much stronger. America has saved a lot of time, money and effort in funding Israel's cyber security developments, which have been very much to America's benefit. And in addition, there's been strong cooperation ongoing uh, in the military, missile defense and drone development areas. And the comment was made, if Israel is secure, so too is America. But let me make one other point. The statement was made that young Americans unlike their parents, do not necessarily think this way. They don't understand the dynamics, the history, and the complexity of Israel and recognize there too there was a major effort required, a major effort required to train the youth of America, not only Jewish, but Christian youth also, about what Israel is all about and the value and importance that Israel can play. Thank you very much for that update in terms of, um, you know, the symbiotic relationship between the two countries. Um, because, I mean, I think it's common cause that when the relationship is of mutual benefit, um, you're more likely to push the boundaries of, of poverty backwards. You're more, more, more likely to push uh, um, inequalities. You're more likely to address issues of, of, of inequities, which, which comes back uh, home because this for me is quite important. Um, as we are deliberating on the outcome of APEC conference, uh, we must never lose sight of the implications of these kind of deliberations for South Africa because Agreed. we don't have to we don't have to go to the US um, this platform to provide that opportunity for us to really think through some of the issues differently. Mm-hmm. But I want your take, um, Arnold. Um, what does it mean for South Africa 
um, you know, in as far as, uh, you know, I know there are two sides of the issues. There's a political side, which is highly turbulent, as you've already pointed out, mm-hmm. but there's also commercial side of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, um, personally, let's just focus on the latter, the commercial side of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we strengthen the relationship between the countries so that we're able to address, you know, uh, uh, you know poverty, unemployment and inequality? Okay, so um, I think one's got to say that firstly, there has got to be a willingness of the both parties to actually engage and talk to one another. Okay, And uh, my clear understanding that Israel would like nothing better to make available, for example, their worldwide respected uh, water technology to South Africa, particularly to Cape Town, but not oh, only that. to Cape Town. Yeah, Cape Town do have a need of it. Uh, one does, and, and my understanding is Israel has offered to make that available. For whatever reason, uh, Cape Town or the powers that be, which may be beyond Cape Town uh, governance, have decided not to make use of that. But if there could be found just an opportunity, a way where you could start taking a baby step, a small step, where there could be a win-win situation that can only expand because there are many other opportunities. Cyber security is becoming a big thing throughout the world, including in South Africa. Um, Israel is by far the world's leader in defenses against cyber crime and what the work they do in relation to cyber security. They are making that available throughout the world in many respects, um, there are others also who are proficient in that area, but that's another area where South Africa, for its own benefit, could benefit from that innovation and expertise. But maybe what we were saying earlier, one first needs to sit down and have a dialogue and come into the room with the differences and then slowly, with the appropriate moderation, break down the differences and when that happens, invariably, one finds there are many more areas of common ground than difference. question is that's, that process has got to be started somewhere. Absolutely. How to start the process, I don't know. But if it were to start somewhere, and it did start with the unions a week or two, the students a week or two ago, out of any development like that can come main benefit. I couldn't agree with you more because I think... Um, um, Structures such as um, CPAC would be, for an example, and of course the South African Israeli Chamber of Commerce um, have that opportunity to begin to simulate the conversation about how do we break the differences. And perhaps maybe the point of departure should always be let us start with what is common. Yes. Correct. You know, because Correct. because you hardly get anywhere. Because yes. strategic thinking would say, look, every time we don't make end road or end route towards yeah. anything, because we always start with the negative, mm-hmm. what what separates us. Whereas when you can start on, this is what is common. Okay, and we get that consensus, and you might realize that what is what is uh, of difference or is is very negligible in a greater scheme of things. Well, you mentioned just thanks for mentioning the South Africa Israeli Chamber of Commerce because they're an established institution. They work very hard 
on trying to generate commercial opportunities and have done a lot of good work, but there's much more that should be done. Absolutely. Uh, now let's look at the, 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 the relationship between Israel um, from the conference with other uh, countries. I mean, uh, I've noted that we had had a comment from the Albanian president. Uh, we have had comments from the Guatemala president. What was your take and, and what, the, what were those, what were the highlights uh, from, from these esteemed uh, leaders? Okay, so let me say a couple of points. Firstly, yes, these were two leaders of foreign governments who spoke, and I'll comment on them. Also, there were many Christian organizations from America and other parts of the world who spoke during the conference. Um, the sense was very pro-Israel, but many of the people spoke, including one person from Florida who had supported BDS, went to Israel, came back, and was now a, a strong APAC supporter and leader in the Florida state. Uh, so a lot of these diverse views were also expressed at the conference. As far as Albania is concerned, I don't know if people know where Albania is, but Albania is bordered by Greece and Macedonia, and it's a country of largely Muslims and some Christians, but they claim, the Prime Minister who spoke to us said clearly they were against terrorism. He said that the country has the same values as Israel and, have been, and has been working on building a Jewish Albanian culture. He also made the point that in the Second World War, no Jews were released by Albania to the Nazis. In fact, there were more Jews in Albania after the Second World War than before it started. The president of Guatemala, uh, which is situated in Central America next to Mexico, has always had a very strong friendship with the United States and Israel, and he made the point that many Jews live in Guatemala. He said that he wanted to congratulate Jews in Israel and other parts of the world for their faith, their courage, and their tenacity. And he and Guatemala was one of the first countries that voted for Israel at its establishment in 1947. And they will be opening up, as we know, America is opening its Jerusalem in May this year. Guatemala will be opening its, its embassy two days after the American embassy opens in Jerusalem. And he says they have always recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Very positive. Absolutely, absolutely. But what is glaring, I mean, as I listen to you talk, uh, I'm not sure whether they were, um, um, you know, my points uh, would be captured or were captured elsewhere in, in the deliberation of a conference, is the almost deafening silence of the African voice. Uh, from the apex, an apex uh, point of view, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether that was any was was discussed or deliberated on. Uh, but you, you're welcome to share your thoughts, yeah. because no. when you have had a conversation from you know countries such as um, you know Central American country, um, you know and, and Albania uh, for for example, ordinarily say okay, we seem to have a representation of different voices from coming from different corners of the globe, um, you know, because Africa is an emerging uh, powerhouse. Okay. Okay. And so, where there are commercial interest. So let me make a couple of points, uh, because there was some discussion on Israel and Africa, pretty positive discussion, I might say. Uh, some of the points noted were that Africa has got 95% of the world's platinum resources. Um, 
in a number of years, one in four workers in the world will be situated in Africa. In 2000, there were 15 million mobile phone subscribers in Africa. Today, there are a billion. So Israel has recognized that Africa is important economically and politically. And as I said earlier, Israel has now got 10 resident embassies in Africa and five non-resident embassies, all of them mainly in the larger countries of Africa. Israel started making contacts with Africa in 1957. Since then, there have been progress and deterioration, steps forward and steps backward. Uh, But recently, uh, Bibi Netanyahu visited uh, a West African conference and participated in the deliberations in that conference. Some countries, some African countries, and there has been historically an African bloc which has been anti-Israel, but increasingly African countries are recognizing that they can gain a lot as well as give a lot to Israel. And, and Israel's technology, particularly in agriculture, because 50% of the world's arable land actually is in Africa, and more and more of their countries are using Israel's technology, water and other technology, for the benefit of their own people. So that was a debate, and obviously things take time. There are always international pressures, other pressures, but Israel certainly sees Africa as a growth country of the growth continent of the future and is very keen to work together with them in achieving common objectives. No, great stuff. Thanks for that input, um, which, which I think is quite useful and refreshing to hear that um, global conversations um, recognize the uh, inextricable link of, of global development and Africa being a, a player in that kind of scheme. If you've just joined us, I mean, I'm, I'm joined by um, uh, my colleague here, whom I have absolute respect for. Um, this is Arnold Basarabi, uh, who is giving us in, ins and out of the conference, the APEC conference that he attended recently. If you want to give us your thoughts, your views, drop us an SMN, SMS. Our SMS line is 34519. Um, but, you know, we want to just take a break. Perhaps maybe uh, Tab will give us a, 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 a song um, which, which, which will you know, get us busy for a second. Let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Welcome back. It's amazing how time flies. We are almost up there with nine minutes to go. I'm joined in studio by a, a well-renowned, in my view, uh, an individual that I have utmost respect for. His name is Arnold Basarabi, and we are engaging on the outcome of the APEC conference. Uh, perhaps maybe uh, it's, a, it's an opportune time now, Arnold, just to reflect quickly mm-hmm. on the the outcome of the relation of the conference insofar as uh, Israel and uh, Arab countries. Okay. So a couple of comments perhaps I can make in that regard. Uh, firstly, um, The United States is fast becoming the biggest producer of oil, gas, and renewable energy, so much so that this year it will produce more gas than Saudi Arabia and in one or two years more gas than Russia. This means that the United States is not as dependent as they were many years ago on the Middle East countries 
for their oil supplies and for other commodities. And therefore, they don't themselves have to pander to Middle East countries and are more able to determine their own path on a basis which suits them. Having said that, it was acknowledged that a few years ago, America lost their direction with regard to a coherent Middle East strategy, and that enabled Saudi Arabia and Russia to position themselves, as they have done, in Syria and are very strong now. And so America has to develop, to a greater extent, so it was said, their own Middle Eastern strategy so that they can continue to achieve their objectives. In the meantime, some of the Arab countries, such as Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and some of the Gulf states, all fear Iran and what Iran is trying to achieve. And as such, they have undercover been cooperating with Israel and working with them to develop a defense against potential problems, issues, attacks from Iran and maybe from Russia. As they've been cooperating militarily, there have been other, some of the technology and other issues we've been talking about are areas where they have been cooperating. Israel and Egypt have also cooperated in many ways, including the two of their forces fighting against ISIS in the Sinai. So the Arab states are, according, and again, this ties in with what Bibi Netanyahu said, that they are seeing them less as enemies and more as current or potential allies. And what was, the comment that was also quite interesting, the observation made, was that the Arab states haven't reacted as violently negatively to Trump's moving of the American embassy to Jerusalem as people thought they would. Their response has been quite muted. And it was also said that the Arab states have encouraged uh, President Abbas to uh, seriously consider an American peace proposal when and if it comes to the table. So there seems to be, it may be a nuance, but a change in Israel's relationship with the Arab states surrounding it. That's as far as they are concerned. Uh, perhaps as far as the Israeli-Palestinian uh, peace process is concerned, um, comment was made that Israel is probably better placed today than it has been and may be even better organized than the Palestinian Authority to accept a peace proposal. But the view is expressed that it will be very difficult for Abbas to accept a peace proposal. Firstly, he is not strong. He doesn't have much credibility. He is aging, although they said he doesn't intend to step down because he's only 83, whereas Robert Mugabe was late into his 90s. And that if he were to accept a peace proposal, uh, countries like Iran and maybe Hamas would regard him as a traitor and deal with him accordingly. So although there are some... Uh, moves towards the possibility and reasons why it should be accepted, uh, people said it was possibly optimistic to expect that one could come about in the near future. Thank you very much, um, Arnold, for that insight. We've got one comment from the caller, and it says, um, Pakistan has nukes, and why is Bibi not stressed about this uh, as a Muslim state? Your comment on that? So, so um, let me say... Uh, 
that Pakistan hardly, if at all, came up in the conference, but the call is absolutely right to the extent they have nukes. I'm sure that Bibi is concerned about it and intends to deal with it, but the point was also made that Israel has got the ability that if a, a nuclear or intercontinental ballistic missile were fired from another country, through the Iron Dome procedure, they've got the ability within minutes to identify that the missile has been launched and the further ability to be able to deflect the missile so that they can decide where the missile lands. And to that extent, I believe that he believes, the Israeli government believes, that they are well positioned from a military security perspective. Thank you very much. I hope the, the listener's uh, question has been responded to that effect. But last, lastly, on my side, um, Arnold, um, your take home, because clearly this has been a phenomenal conference, uh, judging by the outcome of issues, uh, and there's obviously more, more room to improvement. What, what are your, your, your highlights? Okay. Okay. So, uh, the first thing I took home was my wife, Jocelyn, who joined me at the conference and thoroughly enjoyed it and felt she benefited from it. Uh, but the second thing was coming back to your point that having dialogue and dialogue and looking for common ground, even if you don't start off that way, it's amazing what can be achieved simply by taking one step at a time. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. How I wish you had more time. It has been an absolute pleasure, Arnold, to have you sharing your, your thoughts, your views around uh, what what is seemingly a very, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a platform of magnitude uh, uh, significance around the global politics, particularly from an Israeli uh, and, and U.S. Uh, point of view. Um, it has been a pleasure having you around. Thank you, Nimrod. It's been a real pleasure being here. I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I hope everyone has benefited immensely out of this. Uh, you're welcome to go back to our podcast if you would have missed out this kind of conversation uh, and, and retrieve it and uh, tell me your thoughts about it. And uh, until we meet again, um, have a good one.